On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we are talking with Rick Cox of Suffolk University out east. Uh, Rick is the head athletic trainer and also the strength coach at the university. And so we talk about how he balances and utilizes both those positions to not only take care of the safety of the athletes, but look at the performance, how that all ties in, where he finds the balance of all those things, and really how he gets it all done. Uh, it sounds like Rick has done this in a lot of different versions of his career. Uh, so the, a lot of different good insight depending on what setting you're working in, whether it be high school or college. As always, Athletic Training Chat is powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Check them out. They're big supporters of athletic trainers and what we do. That is what the company is based on. So definitely give Mueller a look when it comes to any of your taping or bracing needs. And with that... We will jump into the episode. All right. So welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. After some technical difficulties, I feel like we're actually in the right spot now, so we should be good to go. Uh, but we are on with Rick Cox of Suffolk University. Um, he's an athletic trainer and strength coach out there. We connected up via Twitter, but looking at what he does, uh, it's something that's really interesting for me, but also we, I think it could be something that we see as a lot more common uh, was especially Division three schools, if not beyond, given some of the stuff that the NCAA has been putting out lately. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Rick to kind of fill in your background and how you got to where you are. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and I've listened to some episodes of the of the podcast. I think it's really great what you're doing. So I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. Um, so yeah, so I went to. Uh, Bridgewater State University. It's uh, sort of south of Boston in Massachusetts. Got my uh, got my undergraduate degree in athletic training. Went back there for my for grad school. I got a master's degree in physical education with a concentration in strength and conditioning. I was a graduate assistant athletic trainer for two years. Uh, and the, and it, growing up, I, I didn't have an athletic trainer. And I was a three sport athlete in high school. Didn't have an athletic trainer. Didn't have a strength coach didn't really work out, kind of relied on my limited athletic ability to get me through high school athletics. Uh, and then when I went to, you know, went through athletic training, I met Dr. Ellen Robinson. She's the program director of the master's program that I went to and, you know, realized that she was someone I wanted to, to learn from. So I, you know, stayed at Bridgewater for two years, getting my master's. Um, and then I went on, got my first full-time job at Brandeis University, which is sort of west of Boston a little bit, but pretty close. Uh, dual role, athletic trainer, strength coach. And I kind of came in there, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I um, basically started the program. They kind of outsourced all of their strength and conditioning to private facilities, and they were tired of spending money, I imagine. So they wanted to bring someone in who could actually do it for them. And uh, it was kind of scary. I mean, I didn't, you know, I had done, I had done my internship for my graduate program at Harvard University. And I learned a lot from uh, coach James Frazier and coach Tim Mullen there got to work with football and, you know, get kind of ingrained in their system there. But uh, here I was all by myself. I didn't have anybody to, to lean on that was there every day. So I basically had to kind of wing it and go build it from scratch did that for two years. And then I, I uh, left, I went to uh, sort of a private boarding school, high school, uh, did the same thing, athletic trainer, strength coach, the only strength coach there. Uh, but I felt like I was in a little bit better position because they had already kind of had a little bit of a program established. I was just kind of coming in and making it my own. And I had had two years doing it 
from nothing. Um, so I spent three years at that school and then decided that I really wanted to get back into the, coll the collegiate setting. So I uh, applied a few jobs, got, um, got a job at Emanuel College, which is right in the heart of Boston, right in the Fenway area, not that far from Fenway Park. Um, same thing, dual role, assistant athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach. Um, and then, you know, just started coaching. They had, they had some people in the past that had done some coaching, but they really wanted to kind of ramp that program up a little bit. So they were looking for someone who was going to kind of come in and really, really establish that. Uh, that was, and that was a lot of fun. I did that for three years. And then uh, this job at Suffolk came about and I had been thinking in the last year or two prior to this, that I really wanted to be in a head position and run, run an athletic training department. Uh, so when this position became available, uh, I kind of I jumped all over it and super psyched to be where I am now. I just finished year one um, and it's, it's gone well. The first year has gone well, I think. Um, when you, so all these jobs, like you've been a combination athletic training and strength coach is, were they advertised as such or did you kind of go in like making, you know, kind of selling yourself and creating that? Cause I know it was some of the, undergrads that we have interested in athletic training here obviously they're going to go and get their master's degree in athletic training now but mm -hmm. the change like i keep trying to harp on them, like you got to focus on something in your undergrad that makes you a dual threat right whether it's nutrition or psychology or strength and conditioning whatever it may be like where you can go in and be really useful in multiple areas i haven't been looking at the job market lately by any means but I can't imagine there's a ton being advertised as a dual role. So is that something that you just got lucky and found, or you basically created a, on your own? Uh, I think a, a lot of them, they, they, the positions that I have had, a lot of them were listed as athletic trainer, but they had in the position description, they wanted someone with a strength and conditioning background. Uh, I've seen a couple jobs listed as both. Um, but I definitely think that if, if that's something you're interested in and you go in and they're only looking for an athletic trainer, but they don't really have a strength and conditioning program, if it's, you know, if you want, if that's something you want to do and you want to, and I'm sure they wouldn't say no, if you were, had the skill set and you wanted to sort of be an asset in that capacity. Makes sense. Yeah. So what have been some of the biggest advantages that you've seen from working in both areas in athletic training and strength conditioning. I joke with our recruits anytime I see them when they come through and their parents, I was like, it's fun because one part of my job is to keep you away from the other part of my job. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it, I, I love it. You know, I love being able to see them in the athletic training room and in the weight room. And, you know, the nice thing is yeah, if I see them in the weight room, and they have to have restrictions put on them. Generally, if, if they're my athletes that I work with, I'm the one that's putting the restrictions on them. So it makes it really easy. Um, but I also think, you know, being able to communicate with other athletic trainers, um, because every place I've been, I've never had really more than one strength coach. It's just been me. Um, but I can also, you know, then I've heard a lot about this. that can be kind of a, a butting of heads of strength coaches and athletic trainers and me being both. I, you know, no, people I work with don't have to worry about that because I've been on the other side and I get it. Um, but it's really nice that I get to kind of learn them as a, as a whole person, which is really important to me. And then, you know, that's one of my biggest things is building and maintaining relationships and, you know, not, not treating injuries or coaching 
athletes, it's people. And so getting to see them in multiple facets of their sort of that athletic continuum, I think is really, really good for me. And they appreciate it. You know, you get to see, I get to see them in, in, in the weight room and the athletic training room. And they, you know, there's just a huge level of trust built when you see them all the time. For sure. How do you balance kind of like prehab for lack of a better word um, and performance? I've, I know I've heard it and I've said it a few times. Like you know, the best ACL prevention protocol is a good strength and conditioning program mm-hmm. um, as kind of that. Is that something you, you personally take a, into account quite a bit, like as you're doing your programming on the strength and conditioning side? And then again, just like balancing those two. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, we, I work in a lot of that stuff that we might do, like, um, you know, mobility is a huge part of it. That's, it's part of our warm up. We go through some activation, we go through some mobility stuff to kind of get them prepped up for, for the session. But, you know, knowing all the things that help keep, you know, prevent injuries, I try to incorporate that in. And it's always oftentimes the boring stuff that they don't like to do. So I sort of try and sneak it in. Like I do a lot of supersetting. And, you know, when I superset, you know, a back squat with, you know, uh, you know, a mobi- like a, a mobility drill, you know, I'll, I'll throw that in there. And they don't even recognize that they're doing boring prehab stuff. It's just part of the session. Um, so that's what, you know, and, and, they, and also like you just try and educate them on like this is just as important as this, you know, because they don't want to be injured, obviously. And if you can explain to them that this is going to keep you healthier, then generally they're on board. Um, and also I'm not like the level of athlete that I have, I have some very, very good athletes, but a lot of them don't have a ton of experience in the weight room. So we have to work on a lot of things, you know, there's their base strength levels oftentimes are very, very low. Um, so we might, so like a lot of my lifts with some of my freshmen might really just be low level. We would consider prehab stuff, you know, we're just working on, movement patterns and we're working on hip strengthening and we're working on ankle mobility and all that type of stuff because they just don't have that. They've never really experienced the person that's had them do those types of things. Right. And then, and then we, you know, we, they all like to get, they all like to, to get strong. Well, not all of them, most of them, <laughs> but uh, some of them do it because they're told they have to, but you know, and then, and then that's really my number one goal is to keep them, keep them, keep them strong and resilient and try and do my best to reduce the number of injuries that I can possibly do. Do you follow, not like directly by any means, but like any certain like philosophies or like companies or people? Um, this isn't Mike Boyle up in that area or used to be? Mike Boyle, yeah. Um, we're, we're big fans of Exos, which I know is very, they're very tied in and close to each other uh, with stuff. And mm-hmm. where we've taken a lot of our mobility and kind of accessory and uh, corrective exercises out of doing exactly the same thing you said you just you build it into the workout and they do what's on the sheet and they don't even realize what they're actually accomplishing yeah and then uh it's not really necessarily a a certain system i suppose i've read about a lot of different systems you know i've read cal deets and his triphasic you know uh, joe ken and the tier system there's all there's all sorts of things out there that i've sort of trying to combine them as much as i can and take what i think works for me out of all of those systems. Um, and I think a lot of those systems, they, they can, you have to kind of, if, if you take them with where they're at, like those people are working with really high level athletes, you know? So I think we, I need, so sometimes that might not, the triphasic system might not be the best for my freshman volleyball player who 
literally has never stepped in a weight room before for me to try and have her do huge isometrics and eccentrics, you know, it's, it's not going to be beneficial. Um, so, <laughs> so, so basically I just, you know, and the, my system really, I try to keep it, I don't, we don't have a lot of machines. We have a couple cable columns. We have a lap pull down, but most of the stuff that I use, um, I try not, I, I try not to get stuff that is sort of one athlete at a time. Right. You know, I mean, we use, I, you know, we use mostly barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells. We have five squat racks and two platforms in our weight room. Um, you know, and then, and then I suppose if I did have a system, it would sort of be the order of which I, I do things. You know, we start off, we go through some, a sort of a circuit to warm up. Then we do some mobility. Then we do our plyometrics or the, the upper or lower. And then we kind of move into the strength and power portion of our workouts. And then at the end, um, what I've started incorporating is um, I've, I've had a couple of teams that I've held a draft and we've had sort of teams within the team okay. and they get, to, they get to choose themselves. And then we, comp- we have competitions at the end and I have, a, you know, I put a leaderboard up in the, up in the weight room and they, uh, they love it. So that's, that's sort of how I like to end my sessions a lot of the time. Awesome. Um, kind of staying on the topic of strength and conditioning, we'll dive into your head athletic training role. Um, what should athletic trainers understand about strength and conditioning? Not necessarily if they want to do a role like you have, where they're actually mm-hmm. as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a conversation with a lot of people, you know, like I think the NSCA is making progress towards helping kind of set themselves with some of the rules they're going to do, but not till 2030 about like accredited programs but like there's a lot of athletic trainers i know that have their cscs that wouldn't even want to begin to try and like come up with a program and Mm -hmm. a whole thing for teams so what do you see the importance for athletic trainers understanding strength and conditioning well that's the thing it's it's not as simple as like throwing some exercises on a sheet of paper you know it's it's way more involved than that um, and that's, you know, that's something that I've learned, you know, I've, if I look back at the programs that I wrote, you know, eight years ago, you know, I'd probably be embarrassed. But the thing is, I was writing the best programs that I knew how to write at the time. But, you know, it, this, it's, it's so incredibly complicated, you know, because it's not and because it, you write, you know, also you write a workout and then all times that's not the workout you end up doing because, you know, the energy's low or, you know, you have to, you have to take into account. There's so much to the so much that goes into designing um, workouts because you got to work. You got to worry about their schedule. Is it in season? Do they have games? You know, they have. Is it is it midterm time? Is it near finals? There's so much that goes into it. Um, and I think athletic trainers and strength coaches really like the goal should just be to be collaborative. You know, and it should never be well. The strength coach thinks that the athletic trainers just going to baby them and keep them out from everything and not every not every strength coach is just a big meathead that wants people to lift pick things up and put them down you know and um i think so i think that really the biggest thing is you need to have a conversation and you need to have respect for one another and 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 recognize that skill sets are different and that they can be they can definitely be be combined together to to be best for the athlete um you know, and it's like I said, me. Every every place I've been, it's just been me doing both, and I. So I haven't really. I mean, I don't fight with myself. You know, it's <laughs> like, but but also, you know, my 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 coworkers that are athletic trainers, like, they they get it. They know that I am. You know, I have the this. You know, the best intentions for the athlete, and I want to keep them healthy and available all the time, just like they do. Yeah, we've tried to figure out how like 
how you can complement each other. Like mm-hmm. if you've got an interest on, you know, especially if you're working AT and strength coach, like if the strength coach has an interest in some prehab stuff, like combine that with some of the, what the stuff that the AT knows, but if the AT doesn't want to develop that program, like don't get mad at the person for wanting to do some of that stuff. Right. Um, and definitely don't try and overstep overstep your your scope either you know as a strength coach you know you shouldn't be evaluating injuries in the weight room unless you're a medical professional right and you know and you shouldn't and you know and you should as an athletic trainer you probably shouldn't be making comments about a program if you don't really understand what goes into it couldn't agree more i think that easily gets forgotten Mm -hmm. um with some of the ncaa stuff that are coming out in recommendations and athletic trainers potentially signing off on strength and conditioning programs and making sure they're safe kind of unfortunately due to some of the more common things that have come up like the rhabdo cases. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that seeing it from both sides? Like, do you think that should be an athletic trainer type? Um, I'm trying to think responsibility to oversee that or, you know, if you've got a really good strength coach and maybe an athletic trainer that doesn't understand it quite as much, is it just setting the whole system up for a lot more issues? Well, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, because I know, like, you know, I think it's, is it Kansas that's going with that medical model? And, you know, it's like everybody, athletic training and strength and conditioning is underneath sort of the the hospital system oh, and the doctors and, and all that. I, I think that, that, that you know, with, with all this, all the things we've seen, you know, with, you know, obviously like, Jordan McNair in Maryland and we've had some rhabdo cases and you know these issues where with these 100% preventable deaths you know I can understand why they would want to have a medical professional be in charge but it's definitely going to create some it can definitely create some animosity you know I think Mm -hmm. if you have a staff that doesn't get along well or doesn't respect one another and it's sort of like well stay in your lane I'm a strength coach I don't need I don't need your permission to uh to, to write a specific program. But so I think what you need to do is you, it's not a bad idea, but I think you need to have coaches and athletic trainers that are, that have mutual respect right. and, and, on, and, and you need to take the time to understand what the other one does. You know, I think if you have a strength coach that doesn't really have any interest in sports medicine and they don't really want to learn, you know, what we as athletic trainers deal with and vice versa, then I think it can, it can, they can definitely be some issues, but. Um, I think in overall, the, the health and safety is the, the number one priority for everybody. Right, you know, right. I, I think I think it could be, it could work. I mean, luckily, I'm not the one that has to make these decisions because I don't I'm not I'm not smart enough to to be able to figure this stuff out. But you know, I I think I think as long as people want to learn from each other and are able are willing to communicate and have respect, I think that it can it can be a really good model. For sure. Yeah, I know. I was talking to somebody like you see more commonly, at least from what I've seen, you know, an athletic trainer who is potentially a strength coach or just oversees both areas. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it would fly. And I want to say somebody said one school is doing this, but I'm not sure who it was, where the strength coach is, is in that role, like overseeing athletic training. I, I see. I mean, I've seen that. I don't remember the school, but I think I feel like I've seen that structure before, where the the strength coach is like the the director of performance, and that includes athletic training. Right. Which I and think, it's the same sort of thing. I think is as, as long as you have somebody in that role that doesn't feel they know more than they do, and they're not they're not 
going to overstep and they, they recognize that that's not their area of expertise, then I, I think it can work just as well. It's just, it's just a matter of recognizing what you're capable of doing, I think. Yeah, I think like you kind of mentioned the, pe- the people that are in place are really going to make what it goes. Like you can have whatever structure you want, but if you don't have people that can do it together, right. the structure doesn't matter. It's a, it really is the people. Yeah, exactly. Should be an interesting next five years, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Next, I mean, with that whole Kansas thing, I've seen some people say that they, they love it and they're, you know, and then I've also, I mean, I follow a lot of strength coaches on Twitter that they don't, I don't think they necessarily, I mean, they, they have a problem with it because they think it's going to, for the exact mention, the reasons we mentioned, you know, it's going to, it's going to create some, some animosity among the staff in different departments, I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting because short, you know, with that and that whole ESPN thing that came out, mm-hmm. you know, it's so situational. Like, I personally, like, haven't ever felt the pressure where we're at now other, you know, than coaches asking questions. But to me, ask, just asking questions isn't necessarily putting pressure on someone to return somebody or anything like that. But where, again, the people make it, what it is like I could very much see how it's important to remove it in certain situations you know if you've got a coach that's also the AD and they don't understand or potentially not respect the profession but I would have a hard time in my personal situation seeing where anybody would really come and challenge that just because we're fortunate in that regard and so it can be really case dependent with that where we're able to do what we want to do but we unless it's something of a fluke accident, we've done nothing around here that I've seen that should even remotely put somebody close into being, you know, rhabdo or, you know, hard to say with weather because we don't deal with it in the extremes that other people do um, yeah. being up north. But we're fortunate in that regard, but I know that's not the case everywhere. Right. And then I'm the same way. Like I, you know, I hear read or hear about these horror stories of, you know, athletic trainers being put in terrible positions and I've never experienced that, you know, and I've just been, you know, and I haven't, you know, I've never worked at a, you know, power five school or anything like that. But I mean, I've also, but that doesn't mean that coaches like that don't exist at the level that I work at, but I've been really fortunate at every place. Again, you just, like you said, I mean, they're, they're, they're quest. They have asked, they have questions, which I'm all for, but they don't, but they don't, but they're not questioning my decision. It's right. just, it's, and then, and then I've had, you know, I've, I've had coaches that I've had a mutual respect with and I've said, okay, I'm thinking about maybe giving this guy the day off. And then the coaches come back and said, well, what if I just modify practice for him this way? And if I'm okay with that, I'm, I'm fine changing my decision there too. You know, as long as I think that it's still, it's still going to be safe for him or her, then I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, being a head athletic trainer yourself and I'm there and trying to keep up with all and everything that keeps coming out. How do you balance all your responsibilities? Cause it's just enough to keep up with the policy and procedure and uh-huh. make everything that is staying above board there. Um, we had uh, Dr. Doug Casa on campus a couple months ago and, you know, he scared a bunch of our students, not intentionally, but you know, mm-hmm. he, and, so we were talking about it and I was like, well, yeah, when I hear him talk, I go, oh my God, what do we got to do to make sure that we're like straight on the line, fully on the standards of care that yeah. got all the resources and that takes up plenty of time. How do you yeah. go about 
thoughts on that? Um, it's, I mean, it's hard, you know, and it's in, you know, I have, I have two staff members, um, you know, Nick and Aaron that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do this job without them. You know, we built this staff and they're, they're both awesome. Um, so basically I kind of have to, I, I just have, it, it you know, makes for long days sometimes to try and get all the, the sessions in plus my treatments, plus, you know, doing all the documentation and admin stuff. Um, and I think that this first year was really just sort of a, a year of like, what am I doing? You know, figuring, trying to figure stuff out and I'm going to kind of refine it year after year. Um, and, you know, I, this, is, I know this is my first time being a head athletic trainer where, you know, all this, everything's sort of on me. Um, but one thing I've, I need to learn to be better at is relying on my staff. I think in the past I've, you know, I haven't had as many responsibilities as I have now, and I've been able to kind of handle doing everything I need to do myself. Um, whereas, you know, I, I want to, I want to be able to kind of delegate a little bit more, um, and put some more stuff on other people's plates. So I think that's just going to be best for everybody. Cause I think at the end of the day, everybody just wants to help and, and make everything run as smoothly as possible. What do you think was your biggest challenge year one? Or like, what was the first two part question? What was your biggest concern coming in being the head athletic trainer? Like the thing that you were most nervous about. And then at the end of the year, what was actually like your biggest challenge? Uh, I think my biggest fear coming in was, was actually kind of managing a staff. Um, I hadn't, I mean, I, every once in a while I might've had an intern or an athletic training student, but like, you know, actually having staff members that I was their supervisor and I was sort of responsible for that was something that it was a challenge that I wanted, but it was also something that was, that was a little bit scary. Um, But, you know, luckily I've, like I said, I've got two athletes, two, athletic trainers that I work with that they, they don't need a whole lot of management from me luckily I'm there for them if they have questions and then if I give them a task then they're they're more than willing to do it um, you know they have some they have a lot of autonomy um, so that made it a little bit easier than like I, you know, if I had someone that I had to micromanage all the time I think it probably would have been a little bit harder but you know I really don't and I think that the biggest challenge so so a little bit of background on Suffolk we we're, we're, going, we're undergoing a big renovation right now. Uh, our, our athletic training room that the three of us worked out of this past year was probably about 200 square feet. Uh, we, have one, we have one treatment table. We had two taping tables, and that's basically it. Um, and we, all of our, pretty much all of our rehab took place in the weight room. Um, in the past, there had only been one athletic trainer, and uh, they – it was kind of, all of the rehab was kind of outsourced. We we're right across the street from Mass General Hospital, and they have, you know, they have awesome physical therapy clinic over there. So a lot of rehab would go off campus over to MGH, and that was one of the big things that you know was was stressed in my interview process was we want our rehab to come back on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent a lot of time in the weight room, in our athletic trainer jobs, doing all the rehab over there because we didn't have the space, um, and. I, I knew that would be a challenge once I actually came on for my interview and saw the athletic training room. Um, but, you know, and then when, when, when I was, when we were hiring Nick and Aaron, you know, I, that was one thing I stressed in all the interviews was, you know, we knew it was going to be one year we had to deal with this because the renovations were already planned prior to all of our arrivals. And we knew that it was going to get better. We just kind of had to get through one year. Um, but it was, 
there were times when it was a challenge and it was sort of like the one treatment table we were kind of fighting each other over and having to schedule schedule our athletes around when the one table was going to be available for treatment and um but I, but yeah and, and then so that was that was a major challenge was a, we had a huge space space issue um and also you know trying to schedule all the weight room sessions um because they didn't really have anybody that was one person strength coach that was going to be there and coaching and then as soon as we did like everybody wanted me in in the weight room with their teams which i understand um and i think that you know i had i did my best to be present in as many sessions as possible um but it takes a toll you know when i have to you know if i'm there for like a 7 a.m practice and i have a 7 p.m lift you know and i'm there all day and i'm not you know i'm not done till 8 39 o'clock at night you know that that can be a challenge um but you know it's it's, it's also it's also been really fun um and i you know it's we're just going to keep refining the process you know every single year until we we'll probably never really figure it out but hopefully at some point it'll get better that's kind of what i've learned too every time i feel like i've got it something <laughs> set it changes and we're trying to adapt and try not to change too much to just drive my staff nuts so yeah kind of the last question i had you know would you advocate for more dual roles with the athletic trainer and a strength and conditioning coach um you know is it viable that was one i put on it to be a, a quote mm -hmm. expert in both areas into you know get people to perform at the highest level especially just in what seems to be the world where specialization is becoming more and more of a thing mm -hmm. um, I don't know, what are your thoughts uh, if I'm being honest, I don't think a position like mine is the, the best way. Um, I think ideally you would have a person that was an expert in each area working just in those areas. Um, but also, we, you know, having, you know, a mutual respect for one another. But I think that it's sort of all in a lot of schools cases, especially like at, you know, our division three, my division three level, we there's not, we don't have the money right now to hire a full-time strength coach. You know, they, they've done their best. My AD, I love my AD. He's, he's the greatest. He's, he's been, this is his fourth year and all he's done is just make things better. You know, he's brought more full-time coaches on campus. He's, uh, he, he increased our athletic training staff. He's the one that sort of spearheaded the renovation, including the athletic training room. That's, it's going to grow by about five or six times the size. Uh, which is cool. It's like three weeks away before we can get in there. So I'm psyched. Um, but he and I had this conversation uh, in my end of year review where he, and he was the one that brought it up. Like he thinks ideally we would have a person that just did that. And I would agree. Uh, I think that someone like me, we can make it work to the best of our ability. Uh, and it's much better than not having anybody at all. Uh, but I think ideally in a perfect world, you'd have, um, you know, you'd have a strength coach um, and an athletic trainer, an athletic training staff, a strength and conditioning staff that was able to better serve the needs of the student athletes. And um, as much as I'd lo I've loved these jobs, you know, it does, it, you know, it, it pulls you in so many different directions that it's hard to really focus on one thing. And I think that, and, and you know, when we talk about sports specialization, like I don't ever really look at it as like hockey training versus soccer training. You know, I, I kind of, 
Yeah, especially like I said, with with the athletes that we have, like we all we need to get, you know, we need to move well. We need to be strong. We need to be fast, and we we train very similarly across sports. You know, all specialized certain things for especially for maybe be position specific if they need something different than someone else on the team but you know it, it's it, I don't I don't get crazy into specificity of training um but to answer your original question I think I, I don't think this is the greatest way to do it but it's a very very good way that I think a lot of schools would benefit from doing it this way I think if you give you words on a smaller level like you've got so many responsibilities, but if it was like AT responsibilities to a team and then strength responsibilities to maybe a couple teams, so you're not there mm-hmm. for 14 hours a day. Right. Dealing with all of the teams, potentially it could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the nice thing too is um, um, one of my uh, staff members, Nick, he's, He's interested in it. He wants to get his his CSCS, and then um, you know, we'll eventually incorporate him into the strength staff too. So we'll kind of have two of us that do both, um, and we can kind of take some of the load off of me. And then you know, I can maybe sharpen my sharpen my skills when I have more time to do that. Sure. Yeah. Anything else specifically you want to cover around this topic? Uh, no, I think, I think we did a good job talking about a lot of things. Awesome. Well, then we'll jump into the AT chat questions at the mm-hmm. end here. Uh, first one um, is, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Uh, I think uh, being an athletic trainer means you're a, a highly skilled medical professional um, who needs to be really good at building and maintaining relationships because – Uh, especially with certain settings, especially like, you know, yours and mine, we oftentimes see our athletes slash patient patients every single day, sometimes for four years in a row. Um, So I think that the most important thing um, on top of being a skilled clinician is your ability to build, to build trust and build and maintain relationships um, with, with your athletes, because you're going to see them all the time. And then uh, essentially treating, treating them as people and not as injuries or conditions. Um, I think that's, that's really important is taking, a, taking an interest in areas outside of their athletic performance and knowing things about them. Because, you know, as I'm sure we, every athletic trainer's experience, sometimes they come to us and they talk to us about stuff that has nothing to do with sports. You know, so I think you have to have that ability to listen and you have to be able to um, – be be sympathetic to a lot of the things that they're dealing with, even if it's something you've never dealt with before, uh, because they're you know you never you never know what they're really going through unless you actually talk to them. Um, I was just having this conversation with one of my coaches the other day, and she was telling me how she 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 thought that coaching was going to be her top priority when she when she started coaching, and then she realized it's 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 really not. She's got a lot of other things she has to deal with that are kind of more important than than X's and O's on the field. So um, it go, you know, and, it's, and it goes the same thing in athletic training. Like sometimes just having a conversation, and rather than treating them like, you know, whatever issue they're dealing with. Right. I like that. That's good, good stuff. Where do you see the profession going in the next five to ten years? We're in a big transition point. So what do you, what do you see happening? Uh, what I really like, and I hope to see more of, is more sort of emerging settings. You know, and then uh, you know. 
I've, I've read a lot about people, you know, seen on, seen on social media, people asking questions about, you know, tactical, like firefighter, police. I think that's, that's an area that there's, I've seen a couple of programs that, that work with firefighters around the country. And, you know, I think that's an area where we can definitely be a huge, a huge help um, working with people like that. Uh, and, and that's what, and that's what, not, you know, in military, I know is a big one that a lot of people are, are starting to gain, a, gain a big interest in, but um, just the more, the more, di- the, the different populations that we work with, I think that'll continue to grow. And uh, what I'm hoping is that a lot of young professionals um, are willing to advocate for themselves and for the profession and willing to educate um, the public, but also, you know, the people that they work with, sometimes people we work with don't really understand um, what, what it is we do, what we're capable of doing. Um, and I think the more that people understand and the more that people can advocate for the profession, you know, that's going to drive salaries up. Hopefully it's going to, you know, hopefully we won't have all that animosity among different staffs in the same place as, you know, and then that's, that's where, that's where I'm hoping it goes. Agreed. What advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer? Could be any point in your career, but if you want to just set the timeline and what you would tell yourself. Yeah, I'd say, you know, when I was, I was starting as an athletic training student, I think I, I, w- I would tell myself to network a little bit better um, and, you know, be more proactive about um, building relationships with not other athletic trainers, but all sorts of healthcare providers, um, getting to know doctors better, um, physical therapists, um, but you know, going like spending some money and going. I went to conference NATA conference for the first time this year. I had never been before. Um, I wish I had done that more often in the past, and you know, been able use that as you know, use that as a networking opportunity and to meet more people. And uh, that that's that's what I, that's what I would do. meet and learn from as many people as possible. I don't think I did enough of that when I was younger. I kind of had the few people that I knew. From, from Bridgewater State, and then I expanded a little bit, but um, that that would be my biggest piece of advice: meet more people. Yeah, this is a subtle but sneaky way for me to accomplish that. Is to say, hey, come talk on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Meet some other people um, through that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great what you're doing. I mean, you know, you, there's lots of people that you've had on that I never would. I don't even know they existed until right. I heard them on your podcast. So I think it's great. That's the hope. Yeah, got a story to tell, in some form or fashion. Right. Uh, what has been one of the most influential resources that you found in your career? Uh, stemming off of what we just talked about, I got better at networking, and I think that's probably the biggest resources. You know, I've uh, just I've gotten better at talking to people, reaching out to people, because um, I think that's is then you know I think there's so much knowledge out there that other people have that you can, you can get. So I th- that's, that's probably my biggest resource is talking to not only my staff that I have now, but all the other staffs I was a part of at the other schools. Um, you know, on, you know, I see a lot of stuff on social media, people that I would, that I, you know, I've never met in my life, but I've learned from them just from what they've said. Um, I've been more willing to reach out and ask questions of people. And uh, that's, that's something that I, again, I wish I had started it earlier. Yeah. Last one. If you could change or eliminate one thing, you know, it could be a modality, common practice, mindset in the field of athletic training, what would it be? And maybe in strength and conditioning too, if you want to throw that in there. 
Yeah, it's, it's actually for both. I mean, I, I would um, I would want to change this mindset that a lot of people have that Division One college or professional is sort of the the ultimate goal. Um, I think that there are so many other settings that people need us, that need healthcare providers, that need athletic trainers, um, that we can help. We can help so many other people, um, whether from, from youth athletes all the way up to adults in different settings. Um, I would just, I would just change that everybody, you know, and then I know there's lots of people that are advocating, you know, you got the hashtag AT for all and all these other things, which I, which I think is amazing. And I love, um, but also there are lots of people that I see that are always looking for, you know, how do I get to D1? How do I, how do I get to the pros? Um, which, you know, we were needed in those settings as well. But I think um, if people would, you know, just consider the fact that that's not the, that's not the ultimate place to be. I think that it would help, you know, it would help grow the pressure. If we were everywhere, you could, nobody would have an excuse as to not knowing what an athletic trainer was. Yeah. I haven't regretted for a second coming to Division Three. I thought I was going to be a Division One person for <laughs> eternity. That's what I wanted to do. Typical D1 football wanted to do it, and mm-hmm. I, I made. I it would have to take something pretty special for me to leave. And yeah, I mean, I remember being an undergrad, and you know, we were talking about it. And I wanted to, you know, I was a soccer player my whole life, and like I wanted to work in the MLS, and that's yep. what I wanted to do. And then I've, you know, I've I've done a couple internships with some lower level kind of semi-pro soccer teams, but yeah, I mean, I I basically spent my whole career at Division Three or you know, a couple of years at a high school and I couldn't be happier with where I've ended up. Right. Well then, um, if people want to find you or follow you, see what you're doing mm-hmm. or anything, or if they want to get in touch with you, share what we, whatever you'd like. Uh, yeah. I mean, Instagram is, uh, I have, I have an Instagram for sort of our strength and conditioning department. It's uh, at strong Rams. It's where the Suffolk Rams um, and then I do a lot with the story there. Like I'll, you know, during sessions, I control the music with my phone. So I have my phone. So I'll, right. I'll put, if someone's doing, somebody's doing something cool during the session. I'll put it on the story and they, oh, they, they love that. They love seeing themselves on the story. You know, oftentimes like I won't be recording it and they'll look at me and be like, is this not going on the story? Uh, <laughs> like, well, I guess it has to now, but yeah. So the at strong Rams on Instagram, um, at Suffolk underscore AT on Twitter. Um, and then if you, you know, if you want to find my email on the Suffolk athletics website, I'm always happy to have conversations with people. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you.